Sorry. Uh-oh. Okay. So, good morning. This morning, we are going to talk about human connection. More specifically, human connection and the relationship with the church. And I think many of us can agree that there are a lot of deep emotions, and as we just saw, connected to relationship with the church. In fact, if not us, I'm sure that some of us in this room can think of somebody who, when they hear the word church, that reflexive hand goes up like, don't even go there. Or quite the opposite. Maybe there are people in our lives who uh, condemn us or have words to say if we aren't here every Sunday or multiple times a week, right? Maybe you're the person condemning. I don't know. We could all agree that each of us have come here this morning with our own stories. Maybe tragedy like Lori and John first brought you through the doors. Maybe a New Year's resolution, as Melody talked about. Or maybe this morning you said, okay, God, I'm going to allow you to redeem my picture of your people this one last time. You have this one last chance. Whatever it is, this morning, my hope, my prayer, is is that you would want to further your relationship after today with this Christian community, this thing that we call church. Let's pray. Father, we invite you to be with us. God, I just pray that this morning you would soften hearts, you would open up ears, Father God, and that you would just place in each and every one of us whatever that next step is that you want us to take. May you give us boldness and courage this morning to be known. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Heather, and I'm the Connections Pastor here. And while Pastor Lance is away, we are opening up a series. Actually, a couple weeks ago, John opened it up, Pastor John, um, called A Little Touch-Up. And if you were here a couple of weeks ago, you might remember Pastor John placing, and actually, it's still there. And I'm going to say that we did that on purpose for this morning. Uh, There's some chalk there on the wall, and it was meant to kind of draw your attention like, well, that looks a little weird. That kind of looks a little wonky. And sometimes we know in our walk with faith, some of our thoughts or our um, doctrines can get a little wonky. And it's good for us to go back and to fine-tune and to give a little bit of a touch-up of those things. And so we are going to be moving through seven weeks Um, of 22, actually, statements of faith that the Foursquare Doctrine, which is the Foursquare, not doctrine, the Foursquare Denomination, which is the denomination our church is a part of, stands on. It's statements of faith. So there's 22 of them. We're going to move through seven. Two weeks ago, Pastor John opened up and he talked about the doctrine of salvation, which is the very absolute foundation of Christianity. If you are here this morning and you don't know what salvation is, or you maybe need to kind of revisit or touch up what your beliefs, will you please take a moment today, go back, you can log on and you can listen to Pastor John's sermon. It was absolutely incredible. And I think every one of us in here should take a listen to that. So today we are going to be diving into what should be the next logical step of our walk with Jesus, and that is our relationship with the church. The Foursquare Doctrine firmly believes in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 that as followers of Christ, we have the responsibility to meet together regularly. Here it is out of the message. 
Hebrews, it's Hebrews 10, 20 through, through 25. So let's do it, full of belief, confident that we are presentable inside and out. Let's keep a firm grip on the promises that keep us going. He always keeps his word. Let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out, not avoiding worshiping together as some do, but spurring each other on, especially as we see the big day approaching. For those of you who might be new to reading the Bible, just so you know, there are a lot of different translations available. The reason why there's a lot of translations available is because language is constantly changing. For the purposes of this morning, I'm going to be preaching out of the Message Bible. I really like the way that it explains and comes wraps around the ideas that we're going to be talking about. So, Hebrews 10 says it. Our, Christians, our Christian belief supports it of this coming together. But sometimes we really struggle with showing up to church or being involved with other people. I would say that this spurring on, this worshiping together, is probably one of the most undervalued, misunderstood, and full of emotion component of Christianity because it's full of people. People are messy. I've heard it in many of my own social circles, and maybe some of you have heard it. Uh, You know, I'm a Christian. I don't really need to go to church to be saved. Or church is full of hypocrites. It's full of people who are just going to hurt me or judge me. Many of you maybe have also had that nagging voice in your head of grandma, aunt, uncle, whoever it was that nagged at you. You should be at church on Sunday. I didn't see you at church on Sunday. And I totally am guilty of being that voice, so I'm sorry. (laughs) Forgive me if I have been that voice in your life. But today, what I want to ask you, will you do me a favor? Will you set aside those voices? Will you allow the Holy Spirit to give you a fresh revelation so that you would know, you would know why being in community and attending regularly is important to your daily life and to your walk with the Lord? See, I don't believe that, um, that your salvation is based on your church attendance. So I'm not going to say that. It's not like we're playing this video game and we get tokens that earn us, you know, into heaven. We're not like Mario Kart or anything. Because I don't believe that your relationship with Christ is determined by your church attendance. I don't believe that your relationship with Christ is determined by your church attendance. But I would contend that the quality of your relationship with Christ and the quality of your relationship with each other is determined by your church attendance and by being involved in community. Amen? So it's the quality of your relationship with Christ and each other because whatever's going on this way is going to be going on this way. That is why this morning... My prayer is is that you would hear why it is so important. See, we can go through this life with our salvation assured. Sitting in this chair, being involved in community group and women, that doesn't dictate our salvation, right? Or we can go through our life with our salvation assured and our purpose fulfilled because people in our lives, our brothers and sisters, are going to call out those gifties, are going to surround us, are going to lift our arms up. And they're going to help us to walk out our calling in this life. It is hard to do it by ourselves. The beauty is 
that there's already this desire in all of us to be connected with one another. God said in the beginning, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. God has already placed within us a desire to be connected with one another. It's us that runs from people within the church sometimes because maybe we've been hurt. But we're going to push through that today, and we're going to learn about why it's so important to be connected. So we are going to camp out today in the book of Daniel. But before we do that, I apologize for those of you that don't love college. We're going to just take a moment into an English 101 class, okay? I promise it'll be quick, and I promise that there's a point, so just bear with me. So who in here has heard of the narrative arc? And Patricia's going to put up slide one up there. We'll wait for that because we definitely want to make sure. Okay, the narrative arc is a chronological sequence of events in a story. Every story has one. So, for instance, we could talk about the three little pigs. We've got our setting and our event. We've got Mama. She's got her three little pigs. She's preparing to send them out in the world. That's our event. These three pigs are leaving the nest. They're going in the world. Then we've got our rising tension. They're gathering their supplies to make their house. Some are gathering straw, sticks, and then we've got our brave pig who wants to build the house right, and the tension is rising, and then pretty, pretty soon the wolf comes, right? And what does he do? He huffs and he puffs and he... That's right. We know the story, see? And we reach our climax, and the wolf finally comes to the house of brick. What is going to happen? He decides to go down the chimney, and we're all waiting Right? We're awaiting resolution. What's going to happen to the wolf? Well, we know what happens to the wolf. He lands into the fire, and the wolf is over, and that is the resolution. <laughs> He's done. That's all we need to say for little ears here. The wolf is no more. Well, even in the Bible, we can zoom back, and we can see this narrative arc, and we can see the big picture of a narrative arc, or we can go chapter by chapter by chapter. We can even break it down into real small things, and we can always see the narrative arc. So today we're going to land, or actually before I do that, we're going to go to slide two there, Patricia, and we're going to talk really quick. So the big picture is in our setting is creation and the fall of man, so this will be the Bible, and then we've got our rising tension, oh my phone's on, and that would be the Old Testament, right, and we've got our Israelites wandering through the desert, building idols, tearing idols down, and choosing to serve Christ, and that, or not to Christ, serve God at the time, um, they didn't know about Christ yet, and uh, all of those types of things, right, and then we reach our climax in the New Testament, Jesus and the crucifixion, he dies, and then we're awaiting resolution, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and the resolution comes, and praise Jesus, he is resurrected, and they know that he is the Messiah. So that's kind of a big picture of the narrative arc. I promise I'm getting to a point. I promise. So go ahead and put up slide three, Patricia. We're going to talk a little bit about where we're going to be today. So um, out of Daniel, we are going to be talking about King Nebuchadnezzar. If you see there, it says Israel and King N. Because, number one, Nebuchadnezzar is really long and will not fit on my slide. And I think it sounds cooler. So I'm just going to call him King N today. It's a little bit more, you know, I don't know, hip. So anyway, our setting in our event is Israel and King N. Um, 
the setting is Israel, King En lays siege on Jerusalem. And that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. And there's a rising tension where he's continuing to take land. There's battles, he's taking land and his men. And then we reach the climax, and that is that he takes um, Judea. It's kind of Guys, does anyone else get confused when it's like Jerusalem and Israel and Judah because the tribes split? So I'm using them interchangeably today. But the climax, he takes Judah's best and brightest men into exile. And he said, I am going to strip them of their identity. I am going to indoctrinate them. And they are going to become Babylonians through and through. And that's the climax here. And then they're awaiting resolution. Now, we have the benefit of hindsight. We know that they waited 70 years. But while they were waiting, they had no idea how long they were going to be waiting. And then we know later that 70 years, their land was restored, at least for another season until things happened again. But (laughs) that's kind of the story of the Old Testament. So we are going to enter this story when King En has mandated that the men that he takes into exile, and we're going to talk about Daniel and his buddies today. I'm going to just refer because their names are long. Um, And he brings them into exile, and he says to them, give them the palace, let them eat and drink what they want to. We're going to train them in the ways. And that's where we are going to enter. So we are in chapter 1, verse 6 through 7 out of the message. And I'm going to read a little bit here. It says, four young men from Judah... Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were among those selected. The head of the palace staff gave them Babylonian names. Daniel was named Belteshazzar, Hananiah was named Shadrach, Mishael was named Meshach, and Azariah was named Abednego. So they were stripped of their identity, their names, their Christian names taken away from them, given Babylonian names. And we're going to see how does Daniel respond to the first order of business under Nebuchadnezzar as an exile. So back to verse 8, chapter 1. Daniel determined that he would not defile himself by eating the king's food or drinking his wine. So he asked the head of the palace staff to exempt him from the royal diet. The Babylonians ate meat that was unclean, among other things. And so he said... We want to abstain from that because that is not the way that we were raised. Back to verse 11. But Daniel appealed to a steward who had been assigned by the head of the palace staff to be in charge of Daniel. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Try us out for ten days on a simple diet of vegetables and water. Then compare us with the young men who eat from the royal menu. So the steward continued to exempt them from the royal menu of food and drink and served them only vegetables. So here we are, Daniel and his buddies. They've been removed from home, but really they're, they're given anything that they want because they are the best and the brightest. And King En is excited to bring aboard the best and the brightest to lead his country. But yet Daniel in his community... Of, those, of his buddies, the three of them, the four of them, he refuses to compromise his values. And God shows up. If we go back, it says that they were the most robust. They were more robust than the people that could eat of the meats or whatever else that they felt because God showed up when he did not compromise. So we're going to go back to the narrative arc, I think number three still. They were in this awaiting resolution time. They had a lot of choices here. They, they were in exile. 
they could choose to adopt the current culture that they were in. And King Anne wasn't going to do, I mean, he wanted that. He wanted them to adopt the culture and to be part of them. Or they could choose to live by the standards that they were raised in, to live by the word of God, the things that were instilled in them from their family. So, Patricia, if you could put up slide number four. This is what I want us to see today. So let's go back. We're going to zoom back out big, right? We have our setting, creation and the fall of man. We have the rising, te- uh, rising tension again, the Old Testament, right? Wandering the desert, building idols, tearing them down, serving Jesus. Now we have the climax, the first coming of Christ. And then we have a waiting resolution. That's us. That's us right now, church. We are currently in a time of waiting. We are currently in exile, just as Daniel was in exile, living in a land that was not his own. In fact, in Philippians 3.20-21, through 21, out of the message again, but there's far more to life for us. We are citizens of high heaven. We're waiting the arrival of the Savior. We are waiting the arrival of the Savior, the Master, Jesus Christ, who will transform our earthly bodies into glorious bodies like his own. Philippians says we are waiting, awaiting resolution. We are in the same exact situation as Daniel was in a foreign culture. And we are being tugged at all the time in our current culture. Are we going to adopt our culture's patterns of behaviors? Are we going to say, yes, we're just going to live by that standard? Or are we going to choose to not just live in exile, but thrive in exile, thrive in community and saying, we are going to uphold the values that Jesus has placed in us, that God and his word have breathed in us and say, this is where we're going to stay. It's easy for us to look around and to see policies that have been passed that don't honor the Lord. We've seen prayer stripped out of our schools, and on and on and on it goes. Just as the Judeans lived in exile in Babylonia, we today, as Christians, live in exile in this world. So we're going to learn a little bit about what did Daniel do? How did he learn how to thrive while in exile and in community? Well, my initial observation is he wasn't trying to do it on his own. He wasn't trying to do it on his own. If we go back and it says, try us out for 10 days on a simple diet of vegetables and water, he didn't say, I'm doing this by myself. He said, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego are going to join me, and we're going to do this together. And as you read the first half of Daniel, you will see more than four themes, but this morning I'm going to talk about four themes around the ways in which Daniel chooses to live. And all of these ways revolve around Daniel choosing to live in community. So I'm going to take a sip, and I want you to go ahead and write these down. I'm going to go through them really quickly at first. And then I'm going to read a story, and then I'm going to go back to these points. I'm a note taker, so it always drives me crazy when, like, I don't know, like, do I write these down now? So you can write them down now, but I am going to go back to them. So point number one, living life in community 
reminds us of our shared values. And I added in my notes, living life in a community of those like-minded, right? Because we can choose to live in any sort of community, but if they don't share our values, well, they're not going to remind us of shared values. So today, if we call ourselves a Christian, if we say we believe in Jesus, right, and we want to live according to his word, and he asks us to gather together regularly, what I'm talking about in this context is like-minded. So anytime you hear me say community, Remember, I'm saying a community of those like-minded to you. Point number two, a community brings us courage to do what's right despite the risk of discomfort. Community brings us courage to do what's right despite the risk of discomfort. Number three, being in community helps us to transform others in our sphere of influence. That one's my favorite. We have the ability to transform others in our sphere of influence. And number four, community ushers in the presence of God. And I want to point back to the video for a moment, too. You know, they talked about why, were, why was I chose to be known rather than to hide, right? And they all talked to each had their own story, why they chose to be known. Well, I would say that Daniel chose to be known. He didn't keep his head down. He could have kept his head down and ate of the royal diet, Daniel and his buddies, right? But he chose to be known because he took a risk to stand up for something that was deep within him that was a value of his. So he chose to be known. He didn't just go with the flow. And in choosing to be known, those things show up. We have courage. God shows up. So I'm going to skip forward to chapter 3 as we learn a bit more about how Daniel and his friends learned how to thrive during this exile And this is the story of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. I'm sure most of us have heard it. And um, it's the story of when King En built the big idol, and he wanted everybody in Babylonia to bow down to the idol. Now, bear with me here. I'm going to read a chunk of scripture, which really, like preaching 101, they're like, don't read a big chunk of scripture. People check out. So I'm going to ask you, don't check out. What I'd like you to do is listen to this scripture in light of the points that I've shared, and see where you can pull those things out, the evidence, because if you can internalize it, you're going to remember and you're going to know for yourselves why this is so important. So we're going to enter the story after Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have not bowed. They have not bowed to the idol, and they're getting reprimanded from King Nebuchadnezzar, or King En, as I like to call him. So Daniel 3, verses 13 through 15. So King En says, I'm giving you a second chance, but from now on, when the big band strikes up, you must go to your knees and worship the statue I have made. If you don't worship it, you will be pitched into a roaring furnace. No questions asked. Who is the God who can rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered King Nebuchadnezzar, your threat means nothing to us. If you throw us in the fire, the God we serve can rescue us from your roaring furnace and anything else you might cook up, O king. But even if he doesn't, it wouldn't make a bit of difference, O king. O king, oh, sorry, we still wouldn't serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you set up. Nebuchadnezzar, his face purple with anger, cut off Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace fired up seven times hotter than usual. He ordered some strong men from the army to tie them up, hands and feet, and throw them into the roaring furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, bound hand and foot, fully dressed from head to toe, were pitched into the roaring fire. Because the king was in such a hurry, 
and the furnace was so hot, flames from the furnace killed the men who carried Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Verse 24. Suddenly, King Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in alarm and said, Hey, didn't we just throw in three men bound hand and foot into the fire? That's right, O king, they said. Uh, But look, he said, I see four men walking around freely in the fire, completely unharmed, and the fourth man looks like a son of the gods. Freebie point number five, when you walk with Jesus, when you walk with people in community, you are unbound, and you will walk freely and unharmed. That one's not in my points, but I think it's a good one. (laughs) And then it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walked out of the fire. All the important people, spheres of influence, all the important people, the government leaders, the king's counselors gathered around to examine them and discovered that the fire hadn't so much as touched the three men. Not a hair singed, not a scorch mark on their clothes, not even the smell of fire on them. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king, said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel and rescued his servants who trusted in him. They ignored the king's orders and laid their bodies on the line rather than serve or worship any god but their own. Therefore, I issue this decree. Anyone, anywhere, of any race, color, or creed who says anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be ripped to pieces, limb from limb, and their houses... So he went a little astray here, guys, but just bear with me. (laughs) And their houses torn down. This I love. I love this in the message. There has never been a God who could pull off a rescue like this. There has never been a God who can pull off a rescue like this. And then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. He promoted them because of their faithfulness to God. It doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense. So in both of these stories, we can see these themes played out. Number one, living life in community of those like-minded reminds us of our shared values. We aren't going to eat any unclean meat. We are not going to partake of whatever today's culture says is okay. We are not going to bow down to idols. Now, in the Old Testament, it was a golden calf or whatever was built out of gold. But we can sit here today and we can think about the idols that we have put up in our own lives because we have a sin nature. And maybe that be control. I don't want to set down control. Maybe it's my promotion that I want to have, or a paycheck. Whatever it is, we can find ourselves choosing to say no to bowing down to idols. And when we do it in community, we are strengthened and we are emboldened to do it. Number two, a community of those like-minded brings us courage to do what's right. We might have to stand in the fire, and it might be uncomfortable But what does Jesus do? He sets us free. He sets us free and he shows up. But Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they linked arms and they did it together. They were not in the fire by themselves. And number three, being in community. This is my favorite. 
helps us to transform others in our sphere of influence. You know why it's my favorite? Is because we can create change in this nation. We can create change in this world. We don't know who God is putting in our paths and people are watching us live out our faith. We don't know. But we get to link arms with people in our community and we can be strengthened to do what is right, to stand boldly and affect people in our lives. People that we don't know that are going to be future legislators. People maybe our future CEOs. They're watching. They're watching us live it out. And number four, community ushers in the presence of God. God shows up every time. It says in the word where two or more are gathered, there shall I be. He said, I thought only three men were in the fire. I see four and one looks like the son of God. What? God shows up in the midst of the fire. He shows up in community. He gives us the courage. But you guys, the enemy wants to isolate us. He wants to take us out of the game. He wants to tell us we don't need Christians because they're a bunch of hypocrites. Guess what? We are fallen and we are broken. Yes. And it is messy to do life with each other. But it is the intent of our Father for us to link arms and to walk this thing out in this earth. To do this together. Don't let the enemy isolate you. Guys, we are living in exile. And we don't know how long. It's been a lot of years. Daniel didn't know how long. It ended up to be 70. And you know what it said about Daniel? It said that he served six kings. That's in Daniel 1. Talk about spheres of influence. He had the ability to influence six kings over 70 years that he was in that power. And as you read through Daniel, you'll see he had visions and all different kinds of things in Daniel. I encourage you to spend some time in there. God used Daniel mightily. But Daniel is an example. He's in the word of God for us to look back on because God wants to do the same thing in and through you, each and every one of you. David and I arrived here in this church 16 years ago, broken and hurting, wounded by a leader in one of our old churches. We had definitely been sent into a, a tailspin and really kind of distrustful of God's people. But it was a few months in and I could get emotional. Patricia, if you'd put up that last picture there, that I decided to jump into a small group. And I can tell you that these women have changed my life. I still meet with these women to this day. It's been about 15 years and some of us have moved away and some of us have gone on and some people you may recognize are still around and some are pastors up north. And, but this group of women emboldened me. They prayed with me. They stood with me. They gave me courage to take big steps, to lay down control and the things that I thought I wanted for my life and to serve God and to have vision to lay my eyes on him. This morning, you are going to have an opportunity to continue hiding, to continue to be isolated, or you can choose to be known. If you've been around here any time, you'll hear Lance say, we show up, we sync up, and we serve. And each of you are on your own journey in this world. Each of you are on your own journey in your path with Christianity. And maybe this morning, showing up, that's where you're at. Man, Heather, I woke up this morning, and I made it to church today. That's awesome. So my question, my goal for you is, next Sunday morning, come again. 
The Sunday after that, come again. But maybe some of you have been here a little bit, and it's time that you start syncing up and you start serving. I would encourage you this morning, find a life group. Find a place to serve. Surround yourself with people in community because God will show up. God will show up and he will move mightily in your life and in the spheres of influence that you have. If all of this is just too much, like I said before, just come next Sunday. Just show up. So this morning when you go out, you're going to find um, a lot of booths. All of our ministry expressions are out there. Everything that you could think of. We've got worship team. We've got our camera team. I mean, I could go on and on. I think Patricia's got their, um, a sign up there of all the different ways. Will you challenge yourself this morning? Go visit some booths. Find a way that you can become connected in this community, this thing that we call church. Father God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you have assignments for each and every one of us. We pray, Father, that you would embolden, you would encourage each and every person today to say, I will quit hiding. I will trust you. I will allow you, Father, to bring people into my lives that can sharpen my walk with you. God, we love you so much. We give you all honor and glory. In your name we pray. Amen.